Well, hey, howdy, hey. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Texans, Texans Take. Okay. Well, I have right here in front of me a little gifty. Um, I guess this is for my birthday. It, it is. Okay. It is, right. yes. My birthday was on the 4th um, of this she month. Didn't, she didn't wrap until, I think, when she called me and asked me if I wanted to take it after I decided not to. So yeah, do you want to do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> so we went on a, uh, I guess you'd call that a brew crawl kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and uh, for his birthday, yes. and we, uh, I have had I had no thought that I was going to need the present. I was like, eh, uh, you know what? Nobody's going to be doing that. We're going to be too busy drinking beer and and talking and. And all that, and I show up to the very first location. After, on the way there, you know, my wife was like, "Hey, you're gonna want that, you know, come back and get it or come pick it up." And I said, "No, nobody's gonna be handing out gifts on that on the brew crawl." Which I didn't. Meanwhile, think it would be either. Meanwhile, first stop, it's all the presents. I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Well, guess I'm odd man out. Well, there was only a couple. There was one from. My in-laws. Um, there was one from my wife and then one from my mom. Yeah. And so anyway, Briggs over there like, he's getting presents. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I just showed up here and I see this nicely wrapped. It looks like a bottle to me. Yeah. Just going to go out think, on the limb. <laughs> see, the bottle is something. <laughs> And it's very nicely wrapped. I had to take a picture of it. Now I'm carefully, slowly... I'm probably driving Brig up the wall right now, but I'm slowly opening it with this little pocket knife with my Papa Lions. It's his Boy Scout knife, so there you go. A little trivia for the day. Yeah, I didn't... Uh, well, what do you call it? Origami? <coughs> the paper folding yeah, and then origami. origami. That's what I would call it's it. It's like I didn't know that uh, my darling wife was into origami. Of course, when she showed me, she just had a huge smile on her face, like she just like conquered the world. So I'm wondering if she didn't go like find an exotic way of doing it and look it up. Yeah. There's things on here other than tape. It looks like I was trying to open it with just the knife and tape and stuff. Ooh, noble oak. Um, but it looks like she used some glue also. So I'm like, oh well, that doesn't really work with a knife. But there was some tape for me to cut. Oh, that looks beautiful. Oh, noble oak. Oh, my goodness. So it says, every bottle plants a tree. That's nice. Which, as far as like, you know, the green earth, blah, 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 in the environment, I usually don't think a whole big lot about it just because usually it involves just hiking taxes for the heck of it. You know, giving a lot of money to people who don't use it well. Um, but I actually really am like, as far as like planting trees go, I think it's the most natural and basic thing that you can do for the environment as far as a good thing goes, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, we cut down trees all the time. I think that's one of the reasons why our wood, like I feel like the quality of wood, like average lumber is it's really expensive. And B, I feel like the quality is just low, probably because we're not like planting trees after we cut them well, down and so our source material is less we're harvesting younger too probably. yeah we're harvesting too little and well too young trees and not like actually 
planting anything back. And so, I mean, if you do that, then you just run out of resources. But I'm all about planting trees. Plants a bottle. Oh, every bottle plants a tree. Noble oak. Okay. Double oak bourbon. Bourbon whiskey finished with sherry oak staves. Very cool. Okay. 45% alcohol by volume. Standard for whiskey, which is good. Now, um, okay. Distilled in Indiana by Noble Oak Spirits. Okay. Most of bourbon's character comes from the wood and the noble with uh, with noble oak. We elegantly marry two of the world's most coveted cask types. First, time-honored methods are used to rest noble oak in charred new American white oak barrels. Then, through our proprietary finishing process, we add complexity using Spanish sherry oak staves. This is the same wood used to craft the world's finest and rarest single malts. The result is a totally unique flavor that is elegantly balanced and bold. Dry uh, notes of dried fruit, cherry, vanilla, and spice pervade. A little ironic that I used... My accent today is not very good, but I try to use a British accent for obviously an American. <laughs> because American <laughs> it because it comes alcohol. Ah, well, I am fasting today, but a little bitty taste would be nice. Okay. Well, let me grab some of the glasses. I mean, it'd be kind of just rotten to advertise a, a bottle of something nice like this on the podcast, as we'd usually do, and then not taste it. We've got to have the, the Texans take on it. Ooh, Nashville, that's good. All right. I moved my collection of every state shot glasses in here. Aha, uh -huh, nice. So you only get one of those if you've been to that state, mm -hmm. correct? Okay. And Ben meaning like actually... Like walk down the state, mm -hmm. not right, just like yeah, not flew driven over through. or driven through it or yeah. something. Oh, That's why on. it's actually surprisingly taken me quite a long time to. Uh... Hold on. It's a good sound. All right. Oh, because like I've thing. driven through, I've driven through um, West Virginia a couple times. Never stopped, so I don't have one of those. Um. Give you a full shot. I don't have. We're not shooting this, by the way. We're just <laughs> sipping it with small glasses. <laughs> uh, and I think I don't have one from for um, Maryland because I've only ever driven through. That's right. Okay, let's set this right over here. Now, over the years, there are a couple states I've had to replace. <laughs> For, okay. for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> my friend Daniel, I used to, um, he used to collect shot glasses, or at least I had it in my mind that he did. And so anytime I went somewhere, I'd always buy a shot glass and bring it mm -hmm. back to him. And he ended up with some really nice shot glasses. And every time I gave him one, I was kind of, you know, wondering if he did actually collect shot glasses or if he just had a bunch of them and so people say he collects them and so right. i would just add to that collection that he wasn't intentionally collecting regardless i gave him some nice shot glasses and there was this one from biloxi i want to say it was biloxi mississippi um i could be wrong on that but i think it was from mississippi somewhere possibly biloxi this 
like gold rimmed, like it had gold <coughs> relief on it and stuff. It wasn't real gold, it was fake, but it looked really pretty. Um, and uh, it's just a nice looking shot glass. And I think it, I think Peter might have ended it for him, um, like dropped it or broke it or bumped oh. it or something. Mm. And I mean, I can't, I can't say shame on you, Peter, because like the Lions family is known for breaking a lot of glass, right? And so it's like it happens, it happens. But regardless, yeah, I started collecting them under weird pretenses, like oh, uh, bouquets. Wonderful. Oh, there's so much flavor! Wow. What's weird is that the first sip. It's very it's harsh. So, well, I was actually no, no. Say... At, at, at the first, the first pullover, like when you mm-hmm. first taste it, it's really sharp. Yeah, and then it like pins off very fast. And as far as flavor goes, when I take my first sip, the first second, I really don't taste any it's just flavor. Bourbon. It's just bourbon, no flavor, and, and then boom. Initially, I was like. Oh, it's kind of a flat flavor, but then you let it sit for a second or two, and then it's like, oh, 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 so and much then this flavor on. just wafts over you. Yeah, you have to sip it and just wait. Yeah, the flavor doesn't really the flavor doesn't really come until you wait. In the first sip, it's like there's nothing even there. Yes, yeah, so you and this is so this would be something you ideally never would even think about drinking faster than we're drinking oh, it right no, now. No, you can't. There's so much. Wow, that is fine. Thank you. That's pretty so awesome. Much. Yeah, ah, that's wonderful. Very wonderful indeed. Wow. Um. So yes, I, I had a birthday the other day. And it was Yay! Very nice. He made Yay! it through another one. I'm 29 now. I'm not 30 yet, so I'm not old. Oh. Oh, I, I see how it is. <laughs> All right, then. Ooh. That bottle again? Yeah. <laughs> did, did you feel slightly tossed under the bus? I did. I did. It was it was very tossed uh, under the bus. Like, I was driving the bus. Like the, <laughs> the fat, I'm the oh. fat kid that you go and throw for, to the bear. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Trip him on the way out the door. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's like at, at work, my uh, coworker, John is i think he's 39 now and we have an, uh, a woman that works back there her name is mel and she's group lead in our area so you know she um we usually work directly with mel just because she's the leader you know and so um you know we're the engineers um but john and mel have both been working there for several years john's been working there for about 11 or 12 years mel's been working there for i don't know how long but it's been a while anyway so I, I start working at Kierfot and I can tell that, you know, John and Mel are just kind of like, you know, always uh, playfully hating each other, you know, and just yeah uh, throwing jabs here and there and whatnot. It kind of work, you know, just enjoying work a little bit. Well, Mel is one week, exactly one week older than John, and he lets her know that as often as he can. And so as soon as Mel gets a year older, you know, John will joke about how old she is and blah, 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 blah. And you're a whole year older than me. And, 
you know, and Mel's just like, oh my God, you're, you're a week younger. And John's like, yeah, no, you're an old woman now, you know, sorry. <laughs> uh, Whoops. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, but anyway, yeah, but yeah, I had, I had a birthday and uh, we decided to do a, uh, a brewery crawl along Sweeten Creek Road. Great choice, by the way. So I thought it was a wonderful choice, mainly because we've never done it before. Uh-huh. You know, we've done lots of brewery crawls in Asheville. Uh, did one or two in Black Mountain. Um, and mind you, a brewery crawl is, it's basically just... We're going to have to do another one in Mills River now. They've opened up a few extra Oh, things. that'd be great. Yeah, a brewery crawl is just like a bar crawl. Imagine a bar crawl, except it's a lot more tame and family-friendly family because you're not literally crawling from one bar to the next after the previous one closes. No, you're you're just getting a beer at one brewery, spending time, enjoying the company, get a little food, and then after you've had enough, you know, okay, I've had a beer or two, you know, you go on to the next brewery down the road, um, and you just go to you hop to brewery to brewery, and uh, it's really easy to do here in Asheville and surrounding areas just because these breweries are all over the place. Yeah, Black Mountain is now loaded loaded with breweries i say loaded that that sounds like there's a lot more than there actually well is. for they've what there has plenty. been over the past 20 yeah. years yeah they've got plenty for now. a little town you know there's what, black five? mountain brewery lookout brewery um seven yeah i would sisters. say seven sisters isn't there anymore i don't think they move it's it no it's where europa used to be that's right okay they, they did they it. did move but yeah. that's just a tap house that's not really a brewery um i thought they were connected to i don't think so they only have they don't have any of their own brews there, as far as I know. Okay. Um, but you've got Black Mountain Brewery, the Ale House. You have uh, Black Mountain Cidery. You have, um, oh, what's that other one called? Um, Pisgah. Uh-huh. And they, it's Pisgah. Pisgah isn't there I, anymore. I, they don't have, I think they're still making beer, but they don't have a outlet. They don't have a venue. Yeah. And that's the last that I heard about it. But there's loads of other places like they just opened. Now, there is a, a uh, there is a metery right there. There is it a metery. Yes, yes. That's the Black Mountain uh, meter uh, mead and cidery. Yeah, yeah. And that that place is really good. That's really good. Um, and Black Mountain just opened a beer garden uh, called the Grange, and okay. uh, a Foothills owns it, and that's kind of a as far as I know, is a butcher kind of a butchery shop or something. Yeah, I think so. Um, but they opened a beer garden, and it's a nice, pleasant place. And then there's another beer garden that just opened, you know, within a rock, a rock's throw, literally a rock's throw from the Grange, and it's called uh, the Rail Yard. And you know, um, they've got beer and food, and I mean, Black Mountain is pretty much beer and food now i yeah. mean you can still buy trinkets but why do that when you can go buy a beer yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. well that's like you know it is a tourist town so. it's very much you so know. if tourism <laughs> died black mountain would die i mean with a vengeance i mean they would just like keel over in no time be like pulling the plug on a you know it would actually be really devastating for that community incredibly devastating yeah um, because they, Black they, Mountain is now fifty percent working class for the first time ever. Yeah, yeah. You know, working class is actually outnumbers the people who moved there from Florida. Mm-hmm. Nothing against you know people moving from one place to the other, unless you're California, and then you can just stay there. But it's people from Florida, California, and all it these is. other states coming through to visit that 
bring the money and a lot of them are just they they think the area is so pretty and cute that they move in or and they oftentimes think it's a lot cheaper because yeah. like if you come from new york mm-hmm. like i had a customer you know a few years ago and that's what he told me he said i'm moving down here and he said i know you know he said nobody around here likes it yeah and i'm like okay well it's, it sounded like he had more so i pried a little bit and he goes yeah i mean you gotta think i'm paying you know close to two hundred thousand dollars a year just in taxes for the property i have in the house only he's like it's he said my income go you know i do i have a good income yes but at the end of the day it goes to that that, at the end of the year and he said i just can't do it anymore so what we think is extremely high taxes for him was a break yeah oh yeah and so that's why a lot of people move to this area move here the surrounding areas the the beauty of the mountains is not undisclosed. So you have that going for you. Yeah. And then you have the fact that it is a lot cheaper than All you know the, the people from other metropolitan yeah. cities and stuff. They they're paying those high taxes yeah. like Atlanta. Now, the one know. the one issue as far as being a local goes is that there aren't any locals anymore. No, I mean, there are locals, but like it's becoming really hard for them to stay living there because um you know all all these people coming in from out of state is driving up the prices on everything and i'm seeing it more and more with people who they just moved here and they're buying cars with out-of-state licenses Mm -hmm. i'm seeing it i've seen it probably six times this week got the point where it's you know becoming really hard to afford living in black mountain or buncombe county in general really but black mountain specifically yeah you know and um is it being more beautified? It is, yeah. I mean, the quality of buildings around here is definitely going up, um, but it's definitely becoming a lot harder for the locals to live there, yeah, and afford it, you know. Uh, and then one thing that I don't like is there's a lot of people who don't even live there that are from out of state, wherever, and they're buying up a lot of property, right? And so it's just becoming, you know, a place to you know, buy up land and then sell it for, you know, you know, highly marked up to people that can afford it from out of state. And so it's kind of this cycle that, um, it's just going on and on and on. And so it's just too expensive to live, to live here. Now, as far as like, is it beautiful and is it really nice? Oh yeah, it is. There's a reason why everybody's moving over here. But yeah. Anyway, all, all of that aside, all of that aside, we had a really, nice brew crawl for my birthday and we've never done it along sweet and creek road now what is ironic and funny at the same time is that we were going to start at sweet and creek brewery yeah that was and that was the plan and sweet and creek brewery has bear barbecue attached to the building and so beer and barbecue for starters is amazing absolutely and juliana juliana and i get there and this place is packed with it's not packed with people they've got a little park that they own that's right beside it and that's where all the people in the tents and stuff were apparently they were having some sort of garden party or animal rescue something or other going on and um you know we didn't know about it and so there was tons of people there we could not find parking the parking lot was so densely packed with cars and when we pull in we're kind of like uh oh because i see the i see cars literally sitting on the edge of the main road 
in the park in the the driveway for um the brewery yeah and you know it doesn't look the same size it doesn't look like the same place anymore so i actually pass it i miss it and juliana's like no you got to turn around it's that one right there and i was like is it real and i was like oh yeah i guess it is and so i turn around and i come back and i'm like those cars are still there they haven't pulled out yet are those parked and juliana's like oh my goodness i think they are so we pull in and there's a guy who kind of waves us we open the window and he's like hey if you can find parking go ahead and look for it hopefully you can but i just want to let you know we just parked 70 cars across the street and i was like what mind you this is not 70 car area like there's no No. space for this amount of vehicles this is like an an average to little parking lot and they're moving 70 cars across the street to accommodate all of this and i'm just like oh dear so we go in and we have a seat now inside the building there's plenty of space but there's no parking there's no way to park and it's really busy outside and so we're just like, well, we, we, we cannot start here. We can't. There's just nowhere for people to park. Yeah. We've got at least seven cars coming to this event. Yeah. There's no way that they're all going to be able to park yeah. here. And so I had to make an executive decision. I was like, go on to the next place. And everybody was a little upset, mainly me, about that. You know, because a lot of people were like, hey, we wanted the barbecue, right? Yeah. To start off our beer crawl. And so anyway. Um, but it all worked out really well. Everybody got good food. We went to the next place, Seven Clans. And then we went to Hillman's and then we added a place to the route since we couldn't go to Sweeten Creek, which I guess again was ironic. We went to burial, uh, forestry camp. I've never been to that place. Got some good garlic fries. Oh, so good. Stop, stop. I had to miss that one. And then from there we went to Curse's Kime, which is place. my personal favorite out of yes. all of those we went to. Mine too. Not necessarily because their beer is better than anybody else's. Uh-uh. It is incredible it's though. It's, it's very good. good. But the just the the ambiance is it is amazing. Beautiful. It is so good. It's kind of Viking esque because that's the only way that I can describe it. Yeah. Um it's an old uh truck repair shop. Um an eighteen wheeler yeah, style. Yeah, eighteen wheeler, like tractor trailer truck. Right um repair shop that they that they turned into a brewery and the outside is beautiful the inside is big and got lots of different beers to choose from they've got these huge wooden tables just like sitting there i mean like there there must have been a small force that went into making all this casks uh you know beer casks and kegs and stuff in the stacked up in the distance there's nice greenery the lighting is very dim and it's all natural light. It's mm-hmm. all candles. They guess they go around and light candles. And so it's just it's they really set the mood and it was they just do. wonderful. And so Juliana made me a peanut butter chocolate cake. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Oh my goodness, it was good. And it was dense too. Was, I mean, like yeah. one slice of that cake would like set you down for an hour or two just yeah. so you can let it wear off. Um, and, uh, it was nice cause there was a couple other people there. I mean, we got there at like what, 10 30 or something. No, mm-hmm. man, it was, it was like nine or nine 30. We got there pretty late. It was the last place on the trip. And, uh, I mean on the brewery crawl. And so, uh, there's a couple other couples there. And so we start passing out cake to people and we're like, it's my birthday, you know, please eat this cake or we'll have to take it home. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is nice. You know, and so, <laughs> 
lots of people got cake and it was a wonderful time. Nice to share with some of the people around you. And so it was a fantastic birthday. But anyway, that's my intro for you. <laughs> and well, uh, we're going to take a break right here and we'll be right back. All right, we are back. We are back. So, tonight's topic is called Forcing God's Hand, and I am taking advantage in both ways of, or always, of uh, a, uh, I'm I'm doing Sunday schools for our church, Lakey Gap, uh, for this month, for the month of June. And so, uh, as I prepare Sunday school stuff. I have material for podcast also totally <laughs> doing it. No shame. And so I just did a Sunday school called forcing God's hand and, uh, I will flesh that out. Um, but, uh, anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, so at Lakey gap, I, I don't know how or when it started, but they like to start their Sunday schools with like jokes Usually, it started with Danny, actually, because before the speaker would, you know, before the Sunday school teacher would say anything, Danny would He's be already like, telling I got a joke, you know, and so Danny would tell a joke, and uh, so then it started, and then it turned into Sunday school teacher asking if anybody's got a joke, right, and providing his own, and so anyway, I actually looked up a bunch of jokes for the uh, the class, and it weren't received as well as I would have hoped. Mainly, like, I would read the joke and, eh, Juliana laughed out of pity, I think. <laughs> uh, today I asked my phone, Siri, why am I still single? And it activated the front camera. <laughs> I thought it was great. Like I'm just done with adulting at this point. Yeah. As I get older, I remember all the people I lost along the way. Maybe my budding career as a tour guide is not the right choice. <laughs> uh, I visited my new friend in his apartment. He told me to make myself at home. So I threw him out. I hate having visitors. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Uh, I like that one. That's good. Uh, you'll like this one. When my Uncle Frank died, he wanted his cremations to be buried in his favorite beer mug. His last wish was to be Frankenstein. <laughs> uh, Sadly, I know people who probably would do that. My personal favorite. The doctor gave me one year to live, so I shot him with my gun. The judge gave me 15 years. Problem solved. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. There you go. Break the ice. So, anyway, I'm just going to go ahead and get on into it. Um, I did not look up these verses ahead of time, so I might need to go ahead and do that. Oh, uh, let's actually I'm just going to I'm just going to look it up. Look them up on my phony phone, my phoniest of phones since I have the boo letter. If you want to look up some of these too, you can. Go ahead and look up those. Uh, the those... problem would be reading them. Oh, well. My glasses. Okay. Well, that answers that question. That's why I've been, like, you should see how 
much i have this zoomed in i have not noticed you squinting but now that i look at you i notice you squinting at everything yeah that is okay all right well so i'm gonna go ahead and read these um Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it the way I started. So Dave Reed wrote a piece for Growing Christian Ministries, Devotions for Growing Christians, entitled Twisting God's Arm. I'm not going to read the whole article, but I would like to pull a couple of verses and concepts from it. I am saying this to give full credit where it is due. So from Twisting God's Arm, I would like to start by reading some of the key verses used. So First one is number, Numbers 11, 4 through 6. So we're going to go to the book of Numbers. And 11 and 4. Now, the rabble was among them that had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, and the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. So it's God's people grumbling in the wilderness. We do that a lot. Yeah, boy. All right, so now Numbers 32, uh, 1 through 5. Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock. And they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place is a place for livestock. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the chiefs of the congregation, Ataroth, Did, uh, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliah, Sa Sebam, Nebo, and beyond. The land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So in Numbers 11, what do we see? We see grumbling. In Numbers 32, 1 through 5, they're over here like, hey, this land that you provided us, we don't like it, God. Don't bring us across the Jordan. Interesting. Okay, let's go to 1 Samuel 8, 5. 8, 5. Let's see. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Mm-hmm. So, 2 Kings 20, 1 through 3. All right, 2 Kings 20, 1 through 3. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Okay. There are many times in the Bible where people tried to change the stated will of God. And God either went along with it but God has initial desired results in the end, 
or just flat out denied all other ways. Okay. Um, so that is, I just got ahead of myself a little bit. So let's look at all those verses. Numbers 11, Numbers 32, Samuel 8, 5, 2 Kings 20. So what's going on here? In Numbers 11, 4 through 6, we see God's people are in the wilderness and God gives them manna. And they start grumbling. They're like, oh, you gave us all this manna, but we don't want manna. Um, we want we want more than that, you know. Give us meat. Uh, so before I continue here, I want to reiterate that this is these are some excerpts from Twisting God's Arm that I was talking about earlier. So let's 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 look at some of these. They will explain better what I was talking about. Okay. Um, in Numbers eleven is the account of the people. Oh, let's see. Arm twisting always stems from self-centered motives. So in Numbers 11 is the account of the people of Israel complaining about the manna. They were not content with the staple food that God was miraculously providing for them. They wanted meat to eat. Their dissatisfaction was further evidence that they had rejected the Lord and his provision. Although he was displeased with their complaint, he told them that he would grant them their desire. In fact, he said he would give them so much meat that it would come out of their nostrils until they would be sick of it. Sure enough, God provided the people with all the meat they wanted. And true to their selfish spirit, they greedily gorged themselves. Thus, along with the overwhelming supply of meat, the hand of God's judgment came upon them. Their ingratitude and selfish indulgence was evidence of the discontent that had caused them to twist God's arm. Arm twisting always stems from a self-centered motive. Now let's look at that Numbers 32. So bad fallout will always follow the twisting of God's arm. In number 32, we read that two and a half tribes of Israel did not want to go into the promised land that God had provided for his people. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh decided that the land on the east side of the Jordan River was more to their liking. So they begged Moses, Do not make us cross the Jordan! Moses explained to them that this selfish request was not only discouraging to the other tribes, but also added fuel to the burning anger of the Lord. At this point, the two and a half tribes bargained with Moses. They promised that if he would grant their petition, they would cross the Jordan temporarily and fight alongside the other tribes until the land of Canaan was conquered, then return to live on the wrong side of the Jordan. While this, was, while this arrangement was not God's original intention for the two and a half tribes, he told them that they could do what they wanted. However, bad fallout is sure to follow arm twisting, and it occurred almost immediately as well as years later. In <laughs> Joshua 22, soon after the land was conquered, a misunderstanding between the two and a half tribes and the rest of Israel almost resulted in a civil war. The misunderstanding was directly related to the fact that the two and a half tribes had been unwilling to settle in the promised land as God had originally intended. Many generations later, when the Assyrian Empire attacked the nation of Israel, the two and a half Transjordan tribes were the first to be defeated and taken away into exile. Somewhere along the line, bad fallout will always follow the twisting of God's arm. So the next idea here is twisting God's arm never results in the full blessing of God. In 1 Samuel 8, Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be like the surrounding nations. 
The prophet Samuel was displeased with this request because he knew that this was not God's will for Israel. God intended Israel to be a theocracy in which God would directly rule his people, but the people pressured him for a king, and the Lord told Samuel to listen to the voice of the people. God allowed his arm to be twisted. He allowed Israel to have their desired king. The Lord's comment to Samuel was that the people have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Many chapters of Holy Scripture record the sad repercussions of Israel's covetous request for a king so that they could be like the other nations. From heavy taxation to evil leadership, Israel reaped what they had sown. Although we sometimes get our way, twisting God's arm never results in the full blessing of God. Weak faith and arm twisting generally go hand in hand. King Hezekiah's petition in 2 Kings 20 is another classic example of twisting God's arm. Because it comes so close to home for most of us, it's well worth discussing it and applying it. Hezekiah was one of the good kings of Judah. He banned the idolatry that had crept into the nation, and he brought about many reforms in the land. He exhibited great trust in the Lord in the face of overwhelming odds when Jerusalem was threatened by the invading Assyrians. As a result, he witnessed one of the great miracles of the Old Testament. In one night, 185,000 Assyrian troops were struck down by the angel of the Lord. God honored Hezekiah's trust and delivered Jerusalem. The Assyrian Empire never conquered Jerusalem, and a primary reason was a great faith of good King Hezekiah. So it's disappointing to come to the events in 2 Kings 20. Not long after Jerusalem's miraculous deliverance, Hezekiah became mortally ill. The prophet Isaiah came to Hezekiah with a message from the Lord. Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. But Hezekiah was bitter. He was unwilling to accept God's timing, and he begged God for a longer life. Bitterness always indicates that our attitude towards God is not good. King Hezekiah began to bargain with God on the basis of his life of faith and good behavior. I have walked before thee in truth and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in thy sight. And God allowed his arm to be twisted. The Lord promised to heal Hezekiah and added 15 more years to his life. Hezekiah was even able to force God to give him a miraculous sign. How God caused the shadow on the sundial to reverse itself is unknown, but we know that Hezekiah's request for a sign was not a symptom of strong faith. God had clearly stated that he would heal Hezekiah and lengthen his life, yet Hezekiah still demanded a sign. It reminds us of the weak faith of Gideon, who years before had put out a fleece. Weak faith and arm twisting generally go hand in hand. King Hezekiah's time to die had come, but he was not willing to die. The sad consequences of Hezekiah's arm twisting are seen, the, seen in the chapters that would follow the record of his recovery. His son Manasseh, who is one of the most wicked kings of Israel or Judah, Judah have been born during this time. A straightforward reading of 2 Kings 21.1 would indicate this, but because there were frequent overlappings of reigns in, the, in those days, Manasseh may have been born before Hezekiah's 15-year extension. In any case, Hezekiah apparently failed to keep his implied promise of Isaiah 38.19 to teach his son about God's faithfulness. 2 Chronicles 32.25 says that Hezekiah gave God no return for the benefit he received because his heart was proud. Okay, so 
These are all areas in the Bible where God said, this is the way it's going to be. He has a plan, it's established, and his people reject it. Okay, so um, in Numbers 11... And they we didn't... still do this today. Oh, yeah. This is not... Oh, yeah, for sure. This is not something, a concept that is lost and it's just doesn't happen today like a phenomenon. This is yeah. not what this is. This is something... Exactly. ...that happened then, happens now, no sin uncommon to man. That's right. And, you know, you know it's, it's, it's the same as, you know, if God gives you something or tells you something, you're basically staring him in the face and saying, no, I don't want that. Thank you very much. Yeah. Like, if God gives you something good... It's it's just throwing it back in his face and insulting him and saying, "Yeah, I'd rather not have that. Thank you very much." So I'll, and I'll, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, you know, have you ever given somebody a gift and then they throw it back in your face? So that's that's what I'm getting at. So when I was, I was probably Jakarta's age, mm-hmm. seven, eight, somewhere around there. We had uh, one of the old Nintendo 64s. Yeah, and we had had this forever. And my dad came in one day and he was like, put it all in a box. You know, there's some less fortunate kids down the road. They don't get to play this stuff. We're going to give this to them. And between the time that he finished that statement for us to put it in the box, he was in the other room going to get the PlayStation 2 that he had, or the PlayStation, Uh, original PlayStation that he had bought us to replace it. Yeah. And I was already so like tore up about that and arguing about that, that by the time he told me, what he was doing, he had he had no there was no joy for him. There's yeah. no I had taken everything he wanted to give me and just slapped him in the face with it. Yeah. And it's at times like that where the father is really inclined to put the new station in that box and send it to the kids who are less fortunate. <laughs> and you can just get nothing. I've been in the same place, you know. I've given um I've given gifts that were like, sorry, I don't want that. It's like, ah, oh, that really hurts. And then people have given me things, and I've complained about them. I, it's happened. It I can't remember anything specifically, but then it gets just thrown back in your face, and it's just, or or, or in their face, and it's just like, you know, that's that's not fun. But then on top of that, there's other areas in the Bible where God is not just giving you things, but He's telling you the way it's going to be. Yeah. Son, go clean your room. You're like, no, I don't want to. Thank you very much. I wasn't asking i was telling that was not part of it right right and so in numbers 11 god's giving them manna while they're in the wilderness and they're like yeah sorry this isn't good enough god we'd really like some meat now god's like my man isn't good enough for you huh oh don't worry i'll give you some meat you have enough to where it'll be coming out your nose you won't know what to do with it yeah and then in numbers 32 god had given them the promised land and then as they're crossing over the jordan you know, these two and a half tribes are like, yeah, God, we don't actually like your land. We prefer this land over here in Canaan because we have lots of cattle and we think it'll be better for them. And God's like, you what? You know, and so he goes along with it. And then they were the first to get, you know, cut off down the road when um, the other tribes start messing with them. Then in First Samuel 8, 5, um, you see, uh, which one was that? Sorry, my bad. That was, um, oh yeah, God's people wanted a king. They're like, God's like, hey, I am your God. I am your king. And I am ruling through my prophet, um, Samuel. Is that right? Samuel? Yeah, Samuel. Yeah, it was Samuel. And, uh, his people were like, 
thanks, but we don't want that. We want a king like all the other nations have. And Samuel was pretty upset. And God had to remind him, hey, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me from being king over them. And when they shall reap what they have sown. And so, yeah, it wasn't the best decision on their end. And um, they basically just told God, hey, we don't want you to roll over us. You know, uh, whatever you're doing is not working and we don't like it. Yeah. Okay. And then in 2 Kings 20, um, God tells Hezekiah, hey, your time has come. You're going to die. Um, and, you know, get your house in order and get ready. And Hezekiah is just, you know, kind of whiny. He turns against the wall and is like, ah, I don't want to die. Look at all the great things that I've done for you, God. My plan's way better than yours. If I live, think of all the things that I can do for you. And God's like, really? Okay, I'll give you 15 more years, you know? And uh, as you can see, there's a lot of fallout from that because, um, you know, some of the worst kings over Judah were born from Hezekiah during that time. Mm-hmm. So, and it, yeah, it's just a sign of his weak faith. It's basically telling God, no, I, I don't want to die. Sorry. Um, and so anyway, it shows that his, his heart was not at peace. His heart was not trusting in the Lord Mm -hmm. and he was bitter about it, you know? Okay. So there are many times in the Bible where people tried to change the stated will of God. Mind you, everything that we've noted before here, these are all the will of God. These are things that God intended Mm -hmm. and God either went along with it, but God has initial, his initial desired results in the end, or just flat out denied all other pathways. So every time, not every time that we tell God, no, God doesn't always give us our way. You know, sometimes he's like, yeah, sorry, it's my way or the highway. So in Genesis 1822, um, so 1822, I'll go ahead and read that right here, right quick. Um, So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So this is where God is telling Abraham, Hey, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Get your family out of there. Um, and Abraham says, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So Abraham is telling God, No. You wouldn't do that. And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, And God said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. 
He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose there are found thirty there. God answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had found, uh, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Okay. So we see here an example where God tells Abraham what will happen to Sodom and Gomorrah for their vile sins. And Abraham puts up a bit of a fight. He bargains with God and brings God from saving the cities over the lives of 50 righteous people to 10 righteous people. A bold move. God goes along with it, yet shows Abraham the extent of God's knowledge and power by allowing Abraham the bargain, yet knowing full well how many righteous people were in the city and doing his original plan anyhow. By the way, Lot and his family weren't righteous either. God simply saved them out of a respect for Abraham and his family. All right, so let's look at 2 Samuel 12, 16 through 23. Let's take a break right there, and we'll, we'll be, be right, right back. back. All right, we are back. Yes, indeedly. All right, so in 2 Samuel 12, 16 through 23, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. Okay, so this is just after David's sin with Bathsheba. And um, this is just after God told David that the consequence is that he was going to lose his son. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food, uh, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. And they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him the child is dead? He may do something. He, might, he may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. So, David fasted and, and prayed on behalf of his son, yet God was unmoving on the matter. We also see David's heart here, uh, different from Hezekiah, because Hezekiah is, you know, weeping and sobbing, you know, because he doesn't want to die. But that's his own skin. David is fasting and praying on behalf of his son, 
but it's not his own skin, it's his son's skin, though he knows full well that he deserves this, right? And God says, sorry, but that's just what's going to happen. And after after the, his son died, he's like, okay, well, God has answered me. And uh, that's it. That's all I can do. And praise the Lord. The first thing that he did was he went and, you know, uh, offered sacrifices to God. You know, he went and praised God. So uh, you can see that David's heart here is in a better place than Hezekiah's was. Um, Because Hezekiah was just like, don't kill me. You know, David is like, hey, I'm going to pray and fast and see if I can intercede for my child. You know? So anyway, uh, in Jonah 1, 1 through 3. So let's look at that. Jonah. Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil. Uh, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it, to, uh, uh, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so God told Jonah to go down to Nineveh and call out against it. Jonah said, yeah, nah, I ain't got time for that kind of negativity. God's will and Jonah's will were violently opposed, opposed to one another. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. It's a whale of a problem. Yeah. And you can see, it's really, Jonah's a very sad story. Not, not for obvious reasons, but, you know, Jonah's heart is so, he doesn't have a very forgiving heart. Let's put it that way. And now it's understandable if you see somebody, let's say that somebody comes and kills your son and you don't see them get justice, you're going to be upset. They kill your wife, they shoot your dog, whatever, and you just, you, you hate their guts and you want them to die. Mm -hmm. Okay, you really want them, them to die. Okay, they are evil. What happens if God actually comes to them and saves them and then they become this repentant person and he comes and says, I'm sorry, I apologize for all the evil things that I've done to you. You know, what's your reaction going to be? Yeah. Um, we're no, we're grudge keepers. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you don't get to be happy. You don't get to be saved. Uh, no, God, strike him now. He's not moving. Do it. You know, uh, that's kind of what's going on with Jonah here. Because he says later on, he's very specific. He says, God, I ran away from you. Because I know you're a merciful God, and I was worried that you would actually save those people like you said you might. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, Jonah, I'm glad you're being honest here, but geez, you know. Um, but I mean, they were an annoyance, you know, they were horrible. They're everything bad about people. Um, but they repented and. It was Jonah's heart who was hardened. Mm -hmm. They softened their heart. They saw their sin and, you know, asked forgiveness. And Jonah's like, no, no, I kind of wanted a little ball of flame, you know? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that that's a little sad. But regardless, God told Jonah, this is what I want you to do. And Jonah said, 
Ah, that's a very interesting plan there, God. No. Bye. Yeah, not happening. Uh, God obviously worked in Jonah's life and brought a fish and all that jazz and got what he wanted out of it. Uh, but Jonah was quite reluctant. Can you think of any other scripture uh, uh, examples from scripture where we see this thing where God's will and man's will are quite violently opposed to each other? I mean, scripture is muddled with it. Loads. Yeah, there's lots of them. So, I mean, Peter. Hey, thank you. The other big one. Yeah, that's the first thing that I that came to mind with me. Uh, which which example of Peter? The rooster. The rooster. That's a great one, right? So Jesus is like, hey, Peter, um, you know, I'm. And I guess that's a better example of exactly how quick we quit trusting God. Right, right, exactly. Because you got to think, Jonah was, I mean, by nature, someone who always, as far as we can see, did that. Mm -hmm. He was called to go do this. So there was some, there was some great, some great righteousness somewhere. Yeah. That was found. But how quickly that we forget and boil back into those moments of rage. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Peter has two examples. I think you're thinking about the other one. But mm -hmm. this is an example of just how quick. Yeah. How quick he flips. How quick you, you just you forget all yeah. of your faith and then move on to just instant nature for yeah. us, which is a sin nature. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's nothing righteous about our nature as a human. Yeah. You know, that's why I hate it when people go, well, this is our nature. Well. Not really. Not it our is. true nature. Yeah, it is. It is, yeah. You know, you're not wrong, but that's just like saying... That's like crashing... Well, I, I hit that person because they, you know, blew my door open or something. It's right. just like there's no, there's literally no... That's like taking a car, a brand new car, crashing it into a tree, and then as you drive the car off, it's, you know, it barely runs, it's hobbling, it's smoking, it catches on fire... And then you just kick its wheel and walk away and say, yeah, well, that's just the car's nature. It's like, no, it's, it's broken. Ford. It's a Ford. Of course it was going to break down. <laughs> it's broken. You know, it's not its true nature. It's and true you nature. did that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, the other example of Peter is when Jesus tells Peter, this is what my will is. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go on the cross and die. And then I'll be raised again in three days. And what does Peter say? No. Immediately forgets his faith. No, you're not going to do that, God. Let it not be. Jeez, you can't go die. You got great things to do. Bad plan, God. Bad plan. And he gets rebuked immediately after. Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh -huh. You know, so, geez. Um, Peter's so just over here trying to out-God God, and God's not having it. That's what I said. It's so quick that we forget that and yeah. switch, you know, from God's will to my will. Exactly. And even when it would benefit, as far as it seems, God, you know, but sometimes God doesn't want that. But God does tell us what he's going to do. And if we don't like it, you know, God doesn't ask. He tells. Okay, so... The issues here are in God's people not following the revealed will of God. We can see the problems that arise from going against what he has told us to do. So everything that we have talked here is the revealed will of God. Now, the revealed will of God is a topic in and of itself. But basically, it's anything that God directly comes and tells us to do. 
Okay. Now it might be different. Okay. So the revealed will of God for the apostles was a little different than it is for us. The revealed will of God for David was different than it was for us because God came and told David to do this, 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 and this. That is God revealing his will for David specifically to do. Right. Okay. Briggs job and my job is not to go out and slay the Canaanites or the <laughs> Philistines. That is not what God told us to do. No. He told specific people in the Bible to do that. Okay. But not us. So that's where God's will for them ends is where he told them, you know, I want you to go do this. Okay. Um, and so that's part of God's revealed will, but also what God's re revealed will is, is the, um, you know, his commandments. That's his revealed will. These are, these are things that he wants us to do. Mm -hmm. And those are things that, you know, those are constant. Those are things that he wants us to be doing. Those are like, Hey, this is how you serve me in a way that I would be pleased, you know? Uh, and so that is part of God's revealed will. And like I said, it is different for them versus us. Okay. So all of, all of before Jesus, a lot of God's will revealed will was intended to make the way for Jesus. And then as soon as Jesus came, you know, his will was, is a little bit different for all of, all of his followers after that. Okay. Um, and so that is God's revealed will is what he tells us to do specifically. And again, what's he told David to do specifically is different for me. That doesn't mean that there's not a lot of overlap. Love your neighbor, love God, right. you know, all of these things, you know, those are all still being held, but God never told Briggs specifically to go down the road and, you know, uh, talk to so-and-so and slay this guy over here and do whatever, you know, he's not, you know, that's not his will for, for Brig. God's will for Brig is revealed in a different way and we'll give, get to that. Okay. So though it's a bit different for God, uh, uh, let's see, where was it? Ah, though it is a bit different for God's people than and now, isn't it? Yes. In the old Testament, God revealed his will through prophets, directly speaking, visions, dreams, etc. Then in the new Testament, we see God himself come down to mingle with us. He spoke directly, prayed directly, lived a perfect life. He revealed to us himself in human form. The part of life he lived is recorded. Oh, part of the life he lived is recorded for us in scripture. Then he died, came back, taught us more, and then ascended uh, in Luke 24, 51. Though he continued to reveal himself through Paul 17-ish years later, then in Revelations, God revealed word, uh, God's revealed word comes to an end with Revelations 22, 18 through 21. Okay, so we're going to read that. In Revelations 22, 18, he says, I warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things say, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Um, now, there's a lot of question about God's revealed will, 
as scripture because the Bible is a book of God's revealed will for us. Okay, that's what it is. That's that's what the whole Bible is basically saying is what is God's will for us. Um, um, there's a question in the Shorter Catechism. Uh, the, I think it's from Westminster, Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is, uh, I forget, like maybe question four or five or something. I don't remember. But I it's, have one of those. It's what somewhere. is the will of God? And the answer is, the will of God, which is revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Okay, so that is what the purpose of the Bible is. That's It's God's revealed will to us. Okay. Right. Um, now, here's the thing, though. At the end of Revelations, he says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if you add to them, if you add to the Bible... God will add to him plagues disrupted in this book. If anyone takes away from them, if you take away from God's word, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which is described in this book. Some people question that. Some people question whether it's talking about specifically the book of Revelations or the whole Bible. Right. That's not an answer that I have for you today. That's just something for you to ponder and to think about and to wonder. Most theologians agree, as far as I know, that this is talking about the whole scripture, mainly because Revelations is kind of the book end as far as scripture goes, okay? And that's the last book of the Bible that we have recorded. Now, there's other books that are added a hundred, you know, several hundreds of years later that were not recognized as canon. That's what a lot of the that's what a lot of Christian wisdom is supposed to be for, is to determine what is and isn't God's word, right? And that's where the Council of Nicaea was in, I think, 325, is they were trying to determine, like, is this book over here God's word, or is it not, you know? Uh, because there's a lot of scripture, uh, quote-unquote scripture, that was coming out that was, you know, supposedly a book or the word from God or something, but didn't really sound like God's word, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so they were the council. Part of what the council of Nicaea was doing was try to determine what is and isn't scripture. Okay. Um, and if you determine that something isn't scripture, but it's claiming to be scripture, then obviously that is false. It's a lie. It's heresy, right. whatever. And so it takes a lot of wisdom and discretion and discrimination in order to do that. Now, we trust that God has done that and that what we have here is at least mostly God's actual revealed will to us. But anyway, that's the question that a lot of people ask in Revelations is, is this talking about God's word or is it just, I mean, like the whole Bible or just Revelations? I believe it's talking about the whole Bible because that's where the end of God's revealed will, as far as I know, is. Um, but anyway. Something for you to ponder. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through, through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, what's the point of Scripture? The point of Scripture is to make us complete, equipped for every good work. So, as far as a mission statement goes, the Bible is all you need. This is it. This is God's revealed will, and this is all you need. All Scripture is breathed out by God, so this whole book here is breathed out by God, and it's good for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete. So with the Bible, you will be complete if you study it, if you understand it, and if you uh, equip your lives with it, you will be equipped for every good work. Okay? Um... In 2 Peter 1, 20-21, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of, crypt- of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the revealed will of God is made very clear in his Scriptures. Not only that, his revealed will is sufficient for all of our needs. Okay. So. Hopefully I'll be able to tie this all in. Here pretty soon. So I gave you a bunch of examples of the beginning. Of people who did not follow God's will. God's revealed will to them. Um, and what happens when you don't do that. Okay. So obviously. We are called to follow God's revealed will. All right. And we know that God's will in this scripture is complete. So this is it. Okay. If it wasn't, then that would mean that we we, we, we should write some more Bible books. You know, if you feel like God's talking to you, if God's revealing his will to you by talking to you specifically, then you should write it down and add it to the Bible. Only that in Revelations it says, hey, you will not add to the scripture and you will not take away from it. Right. So this is it. It is complete. So what are some logical questions to ask after hearing all of this? One, does God continue to reveal us his will? Two, do we still hear from God? Three, does he talk to us outside of scripture? So what are your thoughts on that? Does God continue to reveal his will to us? It's kind of a twofold. Okay. And yes, I believe he does, but not in the way that most people will accept. Okay. You know, God's revealed will is very similar to the idea of predestination. Mm-hmm. He's going to guide you along that line, but he's not going to walk up and whisper in your ear. And I think that's what a lot of people, you know, I don't believe that he interacts the same way that he did during the days of the apostles. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of that direct interaction, I've always said this and we'll stand on that probably forever is I think the last of the apostles with Paul Mm -hmm. was the end of God's direct communication with us like that. Right. So do we still hear from God? 
again. Yes. Yes. In in the same way that you know predestination works. Does he still talk to us outside of scripture? How do you mean? I know that your answer is yes. And my answer is yes. We'll go into that. I was about to say, because that that's a yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm asking some loading some loaded loaded questions. I am. I'm asking some loaded questions. Mainly just to make the little neurons and gray cells fire a little bit more. Right. Um, but yeah, so I have just said that God's book is complete. This is God's revealed will. Right. Okay. And it is complete. God's, in Second Timothy, it says that. Okay. It is good for all this. It's breathed by God. Okay. And don't add or subtract from it. Now. This is all God's revealed will as far as the scripture goes. We don't add or subtract from this. We know that this is what we measure everything by. Right. Okay. Now, there's there's other aspects of the will of God. Okay. Um, not just his revealed will. Okay. And so he speaks to us through those other aspects of his will. Okay, so he he does talk to us outside of Scripture. He has revealed his will through the Bible, so we don't see any more of his revealed will through Scripture. Okay, because this is, God's revealed will is basically, those are our instructions. Those are our instructions. That's what the Scripture is. He does talk to us outside of the Scripture, Mm -hmm. but it's in a different way. Okay, just like Brig was saying. So let's read... Uh, let's continue reading and see if we can flesh this out. So I pulled Actually, all of we these. Need to take a break, right? Okay, here. we'll be right, right back. back. All right, we are back. We are back. Okay, so we're going to learn about the way, the ways that God talks to us outside of Scripture. Mind you, what is Scripture? God's revealed will. Remember that. Scripture is God's revealed will. Okay. So I pulled these from the life.com. You can look these up. These are not, I did not write any of these out. I, I looked them up and put them all here, but I agree generally with what they say. So um, uh, credit where it's due. The Bible speaks of six ways that God speaks to us. God speaks to us through Scripture. Okay. That's again. God's revealed will. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. So I just read that. That's basically what I just said. Okay. God speaks through gifted teachers whose source is the Bible. We have different gifts according to the grace given to, uh, to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. That's all Romans 12, 6 through 8. So God speaks through gifted teachers whose source is the Bible. God speaks to us through difficulties. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your, your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. That's Psalm 119, 67 through 68. 
God speaks through the Holy Spirit. So in John 14, 26, it says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Okay, so God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. God speaks through his creation. In Psalm 19, 1 through 2, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. So we're learning about God's creation. We're learning about God through his creation. Right. God speaks through whatever or whomever he chooses. This is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. But never in disagreement with the Bible. For God does speak, now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. Job 13, 14. Okay, ultimately God sent his second part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to dwell with us. He fills up the hearts of his people. He influences and continues to fulfill his sovereign will and his decrees. But we must remember that his revealed will is completed. That is the scripture is his revealed will. And that is how we're supposed to measure and is some, and uh, in some ways determine what is from God and what isn't. Now we know that Scripture interprets Scripture. This is a powerful statement because we are saying that the ultimate authority on God's revealed will is other parts of his revealed will, which makes sense, but that's all we have. Okay. So this is a concept that you learn hopefully pretty early on in Scripture, but um, it's the fact that the Bible is its own authority, okay? Mm -hmm. It's the same concept of when um, God tells Moses, Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt's land. Go tell old Pharaoh. Let my people go. There. That's all I'm going to sing for you tonight. But anyway, um, God tells Moses, you know, go to, go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go, worship me out in the wilderness. And Moses says, okay, all right, yeah, I can do that part. But when I tell him all of this stuff, He's going to ask who sent me. Who do I tell him say? Who do, who do I tell him sent me? And God's like, I am me. sent you. <laughs> me. You, you know, the one who's talking to you. And Moses is like, I am sent me. What? God says, I fun. am sent you. And so what he's saying is, Anytime you go and tell somebody to do something, there is an authority. So if I tell Brig, you know, um, go soak your head. Brig might tell me, by what authority do you tell me to soak my head? And I'm going to be like, I well, wish, I wish I could be that kind, you know, <laughs> ultimately I am, I am my own authority here. Okay. I'm telling Brig that I'm telling you to go soak your head, right? I don't have anything greater than me at the moment that I can think of. I'm using my own authority here, but there are beings far greater than me, right? So old, 
ultimately, I'm not the authority. I cannot tell Brig to go soak his head. I can give him some advice, you know. <laughs> um, but as far the as authority goes, technique. if Briggs says, by whose authority do you tell me this? And if I say my own authority, Briggs like, yeah, but you have no authority over me. Right. So I'm like, oh, what? Oh, shoot. Okay. Well, that's a fair point. Okay. So anytime somebody tells you to do something, you can actually come back with, by what authority do you tell me this? And they can say, uh, and you can say, well, then you have no authority to tell me this. And so I don't have to do it. So there, ha. Okay. Now, if you're a kid, you know, you might go tell your brother to do something, you know, and your mom says, hey, go tell so-and-so to go do or come here. So you go there and you say, hey, mom wants you. What did you just say? You said by whose authority that you came and is ordering this guy to do something. Right. So if he says, yeah, well, who, who wants, uh, why do I need to go to the kitchen? You say, well, because you need to go see our parents. He says, by whose authority do I need to go see our parents? Our parents, mom. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I'll do that. All right. So now, now I have appealed to an authority greater than myself. And that's what God does with Moses in Egypt. He's saying, I am sent you. I am my own authority. It's a little circular, isn't it? But if you mm -hmm. think about it, once you get to the top of that totem pole, where do you go? Yeah. Because God created everything. He is the creator, the author, the finisher of everything. There is no authority over him. That's where the buck stops there, right? And so when Pharaoh says, look, you're telling me some crazy stuff here, and I want to know by whose authority you're telling me to do all this stuff. He says, I am sent me. And Moses isn't speaking for himself. He's saying the great I am told me to tell you, you know. And so that's what... Pharaoh is saying here is like, okay, so you're God. Great. Your God's telling me that I should do these things. All right. Who's his authority? Ha, gotcha. What are you going to say to that? And God says, I am. I am my own authority. Man. I'm it. That's as far as it goes. It's me. That is a very powerful statement. He's saying there is no authority greater than myself. What majesty. Now, why did guy go on that long rabbit trail? Well, that's simply to say that the scripture is the same way. It's God-breathed. God is the author of his scripture. Okay? So God's scripture has its own authority, mm -hmm. right? So can I go to Wikipedia, and if I find something in scripture, which when I'm talking about scripture, y'all, I'm not talking about the King James Version, the New King James Version. <laughs> I'm not talking about... Um, the NIV version. I'm not talking about the ESV, okay? I'm talking about God's original intended text. Do we have access to that? Parts of it. Yes, we do know what it says. It's in a different language, so we have to translate it. So there's going to be some translational losses. That is to say, God's original intent with the scripture that he wrote down for us. That is the authority, okay? Um, but that is the ultimate authority, okay? So I can't go to Wikipedia. If I find something in Scripture, and I'm like, well, 
I wonder if that's true or not. Mm-hmm. Do I go to Wikipedia and look it up? No, because Wikipedia isn't an authority on the scripture. Right. Do I go to the Westminster? I mean, do I go to the Webster Dictionary to look it up? No, because West the the Webster Dictionary isn't the authority on scripture. Who has what has the authority on scripture? Can I go to a teacher and say, "Hey, the Bible says this," and the teacher and and I want to know if it's true or not? Um, you know, is this true? Okay. Uh, or no, uh, the Bible says this. I want to know if I have to do that or not. By what authority is it telling me to do that? Can I go to this teacher over here and ask him, should I do this? No, because the teacher isn't the authority. He can say what he wants about it, but he's not the authority. Ultimately, Scripture is the authority, right? So that's what it's saying here. Scripture interprets Scripture. That is what that means. Scripture is its own authority because it is of God. It's straight from God. It is God. So, that being said... This is a powerful statement because we are saying that the ultimate authority on God's revealed will is other parts of his revealed will, which makes sense, but that's all we have. So that is to say that if God's will is scrutinized by Scripture, should we not also scrutinize what we think God has revealed to us as his will with Scripture also? This is really the point of this study is to understand that everything in the lives of a Christian should be viewed through the lens of Scripture. So, that is to say, if Brig tells me, Stuart, um, God told me that um, you need to give me 100 bucks. Okay. I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to be like, okay, well, if God told you that, that must mean that that came from his revealed will, which is Scripture. So somehow you think that Scripture is telling you that I need to give you 50 bucks. Okay. And so if I want to argue with Brig, if I want to determine whether I should give him 50 bucks or not, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to my brother William and say, hey, Briggs says that God told him to, that I should give him 50 bucks. William's going to be like, gosh, I don't know. Did God? You know? You see what I'm saying here? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know what William's going to tell me? He's going to be like, well, you're a dodo. Go look in the Bible. Does the Bible say this? And I'm going to be like, oh, well, duh. That's all we have access to, to know what God's revealed will is, right. is the Bible. So if Brig is telling me this stuff, in order to figure out whether I should give him 50 bucks or not, to determine if he's telling the truth from God or not, I need to measure what he said against Scripture. Right. And only then will I figure out whether Brig is breathing the word of God or a falsehood. Okay. So, if God's word is to be scrutinized by God's word, then what we think is God's word, or what his revealed will to us is, it should be scrutinized with Scripture. 
So if I look in scripture, I'm going to find nowhere that I owe Brig 50 bucks. Hey, it started out or as 100, 100 bucks. Whatever, sorry. <laughs> I'm just Don't saying to be ripping you off there. Yeah, this is this is going backwards. You know, if the Bible is going to say it, it's going to be 100 bucks. Uh, but anyway, no, I can look in scripture and find out that, yes, there's nowhere in scripture that it says I need to give Brig 100 bucks. Okay. If Brig says, Stuart, that's a sinner over there. And he's saved by God. You need to love him as a brother. If I hear that, I'm going to be like, says you. And you're going to be like, no. I'm going to be like, by what authority do you tell me this? And Briggs is going to say, the Bible. The Bible. I'm going to be like, oh, the Bible, huh? So I'm going to go look through scripture. And I'm going to read over and over and over and over and over to love your brother. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Love this. Love that. You know, uh, the greatest of these is love. Okay. So it's very obvious that what Brig just told me there is backed by scripture. That is truth then. Okay. So we need to measure everything by scripture. Okay. We see the consequences of not following God's will and the consequences of making God do what he doesn't want to do. So we don't want to do that because obviously there are bad consequences that follow from not following his will. Okay, so Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind by the, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay. So we are to test what God's will is through scripture, through wisdom, through renewal. We don't want to force God to do something that is contrary to his stated will scripture though it matches up with scripture something might not glorify him in the way he wants and so god may not want to do it okay look at the mission field so um we had a uh, a missionary uh come to lakey gap and preach his name was barry flitcroft and he told us over and over and over again about these stories of these missions that he would start or was part of that were completely fruitless they were following scripture, you know, they were loving these people. They were, you know, putting their hearts and souls into this. And it was obvious that they had no converts. You know, their mission was not working. It was not succeeding. Well, God never specifically told them that it would succeed. And so the conclusion that you have to come to eventually is God might use it for something later. Or. He doesn't really want it to happen that way. And we're like, God, this would magnify your name greatly. If you make my mission succeed, I can magnify your name greatly. And God's like, yeah, maybe so, but I have other plans and I'm in charge here. So, you know, no. Or maybe yes. Maybe I start a little ministry. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. And God brings millions of people to Christ. It's incredibly successful for God and for his kingdom. That's God saying, I wanted that to happen. Okay. 
And so ultimately, there's a lot of things that we say. We, we, we put words in God's mouth that God did not put there, and we can't do that. We have to measure everything by Scripture and use wisdom, okay? And so um, if you have aught with a brother about a biblical matter, the only thing you can do is go to Scripture and use wisdom and stuff, okay? That's, 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 you know, that's where the buck stops, right? So even if it looks like something that God would want, he may not want it, and we should not force the issue, especially if God did not say to do something specifically. Ultimately, we must trust that God will work things out in a way that will please and glorify himself the most. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a duty to do things his way for our own sake. Many times we as Christians hear things like, God told me this, God told me that. God wants me to do this. God wants us to do that, okay? Um, and, you know, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. We'll never know because the Bible doesn't say what you say that God told you. If what you say lines up with Scripture in some way, then the best thing that we can say is, well, maybe he did, you know? And it looks like God is blessing you and glorifying himself in this way over here. So, you know, maybe he did. That's fine. It glorifies God. It matches up with scripture. If it, you know, it's um, preaching God's word, it's uh, loving people, you know, whatever. It's like, hey, maybe that is of God. Okay. So that uses wisdom and discretion, which is one reason why there's so much wisdom literature in the Bible. Because a lot of Christians don't listen to that and they just get led astray, you know, and they'll, all the time get depressed and deceived um and so like a lot of this um uh there's a lot of people that like to speak in tongues and the bible has a lot of cautions about it it says it is a thing it's got a lot of cautions about it and so i heard a story about this one guy who is in a in a meeting and he was you know speaking in tongues you know in a church meeting and he comes to the end of it, and somebody else is there, and he's actually, a, this other guy is a, a, a Hebrew um, teacher. He teaches Hebrew. He can read and speak Hebrew. And the guy comes up to him and says, this speaking in tongues that you were doing, what was it? And the guy says, oh, it's just, you know, God was just putting these words in my mouth for me to say. And I said them. And this Hebrew speaker said, you weren't actually speaking garbledygook. You, what you said actually meant things. I'm a Hebrew teacher. What you said was actually Hebrew, old Hebrew, and it was curses against God. You were saying some vile things in a different language. And so one thing that we have to remember is we might think that we're speaking for God. We might be speaking for the devil. Again, if it doesn't match up with scripture, you know, we've got to be careful about that mm -hmm. because we might be led by a spirit. It might be an evil spirit. Okay. And so that's, that's where a lot of wisdom comes in. We don't want to put words in God's mouth that God did not specifically say. It's like, um, I want to say it was John Calvin. It might've been as far away as, um, um, uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, but anyway, the saying was something akin to um, it where God does not open his holy mouth, I shall not open mine. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is wisdom. God opened his mouth about a lot of stuff here in scripture. There's a lot of stuff that he doesn't. And so that's not, those are things that we have to be really cautious and wise about. So my last example that I'll give is um, the, uh, I've talked about Hill House many times before, Mary Jane and Greg Grooms, they run it uh, or ran it. I don't think they're running it anymore. I think they're retired. Um, and it's a Christian ministry at school. And so um, I absolutely love that couple. They were God's gift to a lot of students, myself included. And uh, Miss Mary Jane was saying that when she was in, I think, late high school, early college or something like that. Anyway, there was a guy that was really interested in her. And he actually came up to her and he said, hey, I had a dream and God told me that you are to be my wife. We should get married. And Mary Jane said, wow, that is really cool that God told you that. But until he tells me that, sorry, buddy. <laughs> so that was Christian wisdom, you know? If the Bible doesn't say, then how can we put words in God's mouth, okay? It might err on the side of truth, but there's a lot of wisdom involved there, okay? And there's a lot of times where, you know, we just... You know, like um, we've got a friend uh, who's a Christian mainly because um, he said that Jesus, he saw, he had a vision. Jesus came to him in that vision and ministered to him. And that's why he's a Christian now. He went and investigated the church. He was always interested, but he never went. Um, and so based off this vision... Um, that's what started his life in Christ. Huh. And he's a very strong Christian, a dear brother. Um, it's, it's Sam. Right. Um, and, um, you know, he, after being a Christian for several years, he's figured out, you know, Hey, this doesn't happen to everybody. You know, right. he says, all I can tell you is what I saw. That's it. Now for us, for me, I could say, you didn't see that. Where in scripture does it say you're going to see stuff like that? Come on, man. You didn't see Jesus. You know, I'm glad that you're a Christian, but, you know, you, you didn't see that. Now, I cannot say that for I don't know. The Bible doesn't speak about it. But the fact of the matter is that Sam is a good brother in Christ. So obviously, whatever experience he had led him to Christ. That is a good thing. So the best that I can say is maybe you did see it. Okay. So that's where wisdom comes in, you know, um, and uh, you don't want to be divisive. And that's why the Bible says, keep what is good and reject what is bad. You know, uh, if something is of God, then God will bless it. And if it's not, don't worry about it. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, that's that's what I got for you. That is a lot. Yeah, wow. Sorry, I think we went over a lot here. Um, but uh, I hope it was uh, very helpful and useful and edifying. Very much. Yeah. What was that? That was an alarm. No. Oh. <laughs> oh, that was my phone telling me. So I, I have an, uh, a thing on my phone. Well, it's part of the software on the phone, but I can... Uh, set it to where I no longer receive 
messages, phone ah, calls. It silences all notifications. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and the only way you can like, if somebody calls me right now, they could call me 30 times. It's going to go straight to voicemail. Yep. Yep. Um, the only way that I know around that, and it's really cool, is if you also have an iPhone. Yeah. You can override that. Huh. So like if it's an emergency, you can... I've only found that it works with texts. Like you can send a text and it'll say, you know, this person has sleep on, you know, would you like to notify them? Gotcha. And you can still. Oh, that's kind of cool. That yeah. way, if it's an emergency, you can actually say yes. And if yeah. it's not, you can be like, oh, well, I don't want to do that. Either. Yeah, because it uh, lets you know that, hey, now's not a good time. That's really cool. Juliana has her phone set for that. I've never set mine to that. Um it may, it may be different on Androids. I don't know. It works. I think it works just as well on Androids. I've just not done it. <laughs> right. I might. I might not. I don't know. That's something that Juliana's like, you know, you could change that because I'll get text messages and stuff later. But personally, I've never cared. And so it's not been an issue. Um, but like for Juliana, oh, it's a huge deal. She's like, you know, I don't accept calls. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, you can actually like... Um, you can set it up so that only certain people can get through that, right? And there may be, that may be an Android That's, thing. Uh, maybe it's an Android thing. So I think with Juliana, I want to say it's me and possibly her parents. I'll have to see if they're are that, the only ones curious to know. that can send messages that the phone will accept. Accept and calls that the phone now, will accept. Now, iPhones can do that to it. I need to pass a certain time anyway. I think I think it, it, it can do that because I know uh, Emily has Lila set to where she can only call and receive calls from people that are in her contacts. Yeah. And that, like, they're approved mm -hmm. for her. Yeah, it's very useful. Um, again, I know about it. I've just never done it. But right. One day, maybe. Well, you want me to go ahead and pray us out here? I would absolutely love that. Awesome, Lord, we uh, we come to you and and we initially thank you for your word, which is you know your revealed word to us, so that we don't have to question any authority. We don't because we know it comes directly from you. Um, we ask that you would bless uh, all of our listeners and ourselves with the wisdom and discernment it takes to to go through and be able to pick out what what is your word and uh and who you are and we ask that you would guide guard and protect us as we go throughout our week and until next time amen amen all right well with that adios, adios.